Hey everyone, welcome to the Five Beer Plan. I'm Brian, and this is the ongoing saga of an everyman's ale trail. In this episode, I'll talk about glassware, clean glassware, wrap up my interview with Chris Gibbons from Brass Ring Brewing, and review Lost Lager from BrewDog. In this segment of Tales from the Trail, I'm going to talk about glassware. When I first started going to bars and breweries, typically you would get beer served in the sturdy 16-ounce American pint glass. I'll be honest, I have big hands, so a pint glass just simply feels good while drinking a beer, even at home. Well, as the craft industry and my palate have grown, different types of glassware started to become more and more common in breweries. What I found is that you can get the most enjoyment out of a beer by using the correct type of glassware according to the style. As a result, I now have a number of different types of glassware in my cupboard. Here's a quick rundown of some of the more common glasses and styles, though it's not exhaustive. Pilsner glass. This glass is tall, slender, and tapered from bottom to top. It showcases the clean, often bubbly nature of the beer. My mother and father-in-law gave me a couple of Pilsner glasses years ago, and I never thought I would use them. But it is a great glass to be used with Pilsners, Box, Vienna Lagers, and Wit beers. Tulip glass. This short-stemmed, round-bodied glass with a flared lip may be one of my favorite types. It's meant to capture the head and focus the aromas toward you. Belgian ales, barley wines, double or imperial IPAs, lambics, saisons, and American wild ales are great for this glass. Goblet or chalice. Think Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade and you'll picture this glass. With a thick stem and a large bowl, it gives this heavy glass its shape. Heavy dark beer, like a Belgian double, triple, or quad are perfect for this glass. Weisenglass. This one has an hourglass kind of shape to it. Often it's thin-walled and tall. It also shows off the color of the beer. Wheatales, Dunkelweizens, Hefeweizens, Kristallweizens, and Weizenbachs dominate this glass. Stange glass. This is narrow and a straight cylinder, taking its name from the German word for pole. It is best for delicate beers such as Kolsch, Goza, Czech Pilsner, Rye, and Alt beer. Teku glass. This is my fancy glass for serving beer. It reminds me a little bit of a wine glass. It was designed specifically to accentuate aromas, and with its long stem, it keeps your hands from warming the beer. It is pretty versatile. I use it for many different styles. So no matter whether you stick to the tried-and-true utilitarian American pint glass or switch it up from time to time with a style-appropriate glass is up to you. Well, this week's hop hack is about clean glassware. As I learned last time in my interview with Chris Gibbons, there's a big difference between clean glassware and beer-clean glassware. Both are clean and sanitary, but why do you want the latter? Well, if you've ever had a beer poured and noticed bubbles on the side of the glass, this means that the CO2 in the beer is clinging to these small impurities, thus reducing the effervescence, affecting the mouthfeel, and potentially giving you a subpar beer. Most craft brewers, like Brass Ring Brewing, go to great lengths to create a premium product from start to finish, so having beer-clean glassware is a fantastic way to showcase it. The Brewers Association Draft Beer Quality Manual defines a beer-clean glass as one that forms a proper foam head, allows lacing during consumption, and never shows patches of bubbles stuck to the side of the glass in the liquid beer. According to the manual, there are two acceptable, effective ways to clean your glassware for guaranteed beer-clean results manually washing in a three-tub sink, or using a dedicated automatic glass washer. 
You've probably seen your favorite bar or brewery utilize one of these methods. I'm going to be perfectly honest here with you. I don't really have the space to accommodate having beer clean glassware. There are things that I do, however, to get closer to a beer clean glass experience. First of all, I only use my glasses for beer and no other product. I hand wash my glasses and I use a dedicated sponge or a brush. I found that dishwashers can leave a film and the hot water will ultimately dull and remove the logos on your favorite pint glass. You can use baking soda instead of dishwashing soap which contains oils. Drip dry your glasses upside down on a rack instead of hand drying them. Finally, rinse your glass with cold water prior to pouring the beer to get rid of any dust that might have adhered and also to pre-cool your glass a little bit. The bottom line is you need to find your level of comfort and cleanliness for your top flight beer drinking experience. Walking your ale trail is a journey and you simply may not be at that point of even thinking about it. I'm always very careful not to use the word dirty glass around my craft drinking friends unless I know them very, very well. That's how bar fights start and I don't want to be responsible for that. Now it's time for Barstool Banter. This week, I'm finishing my interview with some beer schooling from Chris Gibbons, who is the owner and head brewer at Brasswing Brewing in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, no worries. Thanks for uh, coming on out. If I could tell you what it is we're doing, and, and, and if I'm willing to share that with you, and you'll get it. But, I, you know, especially, like, I can't be here yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and that's what I always tell, you know, from the day, first day with the front of the house, especially telling them, hey, look, that's your job. Your job is to take my lump for this, is for this brewing, this business, and your job is to sh excite people. Mm. And that, 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 that's, that's a, a simple big, message. Well, it is, but that's a big job. It is. It is. You know? I mean, that, that, there's a certain amount of responsibility in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we sweat blood to make this operate the way we want it to operate right. and to do what, what it is that we want to do. Yeah. So. And, and I, I have a creative bent. You clearly have a creative bent. And I don't think people realize, as creatives, how much blood, sweat, and tears, all the effort that had to go into it. I mean, if that was if that rug was swept out from under, you'd be crushed. And that's the other thing people don't necessarily understand. The risk. There, there is risk. People lose their dreams every day. This place is magical. It's, it, no, the universe wants this to happen. You know, you could say, oh, I, I own the business. I don't own this business. I, I'm the custodian. Yeah. That's my appointed role. My job is to take care of my team and make sure that they're working together well. And if somebody's coming up a little short, build them up, mm -hmm. encourage the people around them to step up and, hey, you know what? When your lady left you and you weren't doing so hot, somebody picked up for you. Yeah. It's now it's your turn to pick up. Absolutely. And not yeah. make it all about what you need to do right now and you know, what you got to have. You know, make, make it about something. I think you guys are doing that also. You have your neighborhood nights now that I've been seeing on the neighbor nights are back. And that's so, that's cool too. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So yeah, so neighbor nights started eighteen when we opened. Okay. You know, if you want people to come over, you kinda have to invite them. Invite them, sure. <laughs> what a great concept. <laughs> neighbor night. Well, let's just go invite freaking neighbors to come. So I printed off Google Maps a black, I printed all those pages and taped it all together. Mm -hmm. So it was really like a military style campaign. Every week I had a different color and then we would highlight the blocks. And then Karen and I would go out every Monday. We've hit every door in Garfield Park and Aldrich. No kidding. Year. You've knocked every on door. every door. Yeah, well, we leave our little glow. Oh, okay. So we figured that out. Yeah. So neighbor nights are 
a big part of the community that you know they support us um we try to give back however we can so yeah, i love that yeah. so we do neighborly ipa so i know i'm equal to 20 percent of the sales of that beer it goes right to food kids basket you know it's it's not my money it's their money it's it's our collective effort so mm -hmm. neighborly ipa you know really performs like a good neighbor if they help us, we help them. They get a good beer. Some kids get some healthy meals that they may otherwise not have gotten. Uh, that's another aspect of the the small independent brewer. You have a pulse and a heartbeat of what's going on in the community. Oh, you know where you can reach out and help. Uh, how about uh, Automail is my favorite beer. Thank you, Chris. No worries. That is that is gorgeous. Yeah, so see the color of an autumn leaf. That's what that was the whole idea. But it's such a good beer. Everybody loves it. Uh, you know, I don't know what to do. It's, and we gave it a seasonal name. Well, you could just say that every season's there, autumn. There, 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 there's a brewer. I have, I, have, I have a friend that's a brewer, and he has a little brewery, and he made a beer that he absolutely loved. It was a German-style beer. He gave it its traditional German name, which you can barely read, much less pronounce. Mm -hmm. Couldn't sell it. So he gave it this pedestrian name. You know, what you, I mean, as a brewer, what do you do with that? You know? Right, It's right. like good marketing isn't necessarily good beer. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do, because you can make anything look as amazing as you want, but I mean, the proof's in the pudding. If you can't if you can't back up what you're brewing... Well, no, but people will buy it, and then it goes away. Right. And then it goes away. And then yeah. it goes, so it's, it's flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I'm kind of proud of is, is, you know, going down the menu, there's only four new beers on there. The other eight are different shell beers. Are if I took them away, there would be riots with our regulars because Jim's got to have his brown ale. I mean, if you took Jim's brown ale away, you just wouldn't see Jim again. Or Bob's eight pound hammer if he doesn't have that. Yeah, no, it's, it's the way it goes. So, you know, so, and, and I'm just glad we didn't get into that chase. And so we're different by not being there. And I think when you focus on those tangibles that you can control, why change? Yeah. Why, why do you have to have the hazy IPAs or the sour? I mean, why do you have to have all the, the strange things you don't? You can, and it's okay. Yeah. So what is your favorite personal style to brew? To brew? Yeah, it's all kind of the same. I mean, okay. You know, I, okay. I, I, well, like let's, let's... Know, I, I like doing stuff that's sometimes a little different. Um, you know, making the autumn ales nice because it's got a shorter... Uh, bitter and hot mm -hmm. oil, mm -hmm. so it gets me out of the brewery 45 minutes early. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. But uh, you know, the it's not on. The, it's not. It won't be on till probably February. It's gonna be a minute. Um, uh, no half measures. Okay. Our brute is kind of fun to make. Nice. So, is that something you've done before? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a, I, I think it's an exceptional example. I've never had it. So. It's an English brute IPA. So um, sounds amazing. We do use an, a little adjunct there, so we, we will use um, uh, uh, an addition of amylase. Okay. So we use sure. a liquid enzyme mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to help break uh, things down. Break things down to encourage ferment, you know, uh, to fermentability. Yeah. So um, the last time we did it, I think we got within I think we we're a half degree Play-Doh. Wow. So it was like almost nothing. Wow. But you you know but in well, that was just surprising. And then, and that's done with, um, oh, what's the hops? It's a blend. I, I just love that beer, though. It, it, it takes on a different, you know, and it, it takes on a, as, as it moves to mm -hmm. its little life cycle, it, it, it evolves. It, that last batch evolved beautifully. It just turned out to be spectacular. Yeah. And so all of our beers, you know, the nice thing is they are natural beer products. I mean, right. water, barley, hops, and yeast, that yeast is, you know, we don't filter 
Um, we don't pasteurize. Yeah. We don't we don't kill our beer. We let our beer live. So you're drinking now what is essentially a little baby beer. Mm-hmm. This autumn ale, which I'm gonna get some. Um, <laughs> Now uh, that you know, that's that's been in the cast for a month. Okay. So that's we've been moving it, so people want it. So we're kind of we kind of have this one on the rush. It is. Uh, but it's per- it's you know, a tasty it's, beer. It's perfectly yes, ready to it really go. is. Um, so, but this will change. You know, so a lot of times you know, when you come in, the fresh beer, the really fresh beer. We'll have a bite to it, so it's just like a little baby, man. The older they get, the softer they get, right? And then they start laughing and running around, and then yeah. you know what? They're gone. It's just like a beer. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times, um, we'll, the beer will first come on, and and you know, maybe it's a little sharp with the hot profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give it a couple of weeks. You know, it'll round out, and yeah. it does. So, you know, that's one thing I do enjoy about the beer is is it does change within the system from day to day, week to week, month. You know, it doesn't really hang around much more in a month. Yeah. Usually, uh, you know, we'll go through a, a vessel in about six weeks. So. And with the cask mark certification, is there a limit to freshness of the beer that you have to have? I mean, no. do they? Okay. But no, course. but it's all under pressure. It's all CO2. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't go bad. Um, what is it, like a Baltic porter? It's got it's basically has to sit for 18 months? Yes. So especially with the stout, I think it's better as time goes on. Certainly, for sure. You know, I love our red. So, as far as your favorite style, just personally, not necessarily brewing. I mean, what is your red? Red, red, red's my favorite. Okay. Yeah. If you told me you were gonna take me steelhead fishing tomorrow, I would grab a red in a mile. Okay. What's your least favorite style to drink? Um, golden ale. I shouldn't say that though, because that's our number one ale. It's one of our best sellers. But it's okay because you can. but, But you can brew things that you don't necessarily like. Or you have to. Yeah. You can't. You know. You, you, you have to make stuff that's it's kind of hard to say because you know i'll take a gold nail i mean yeah mm-hmm. you know there's worse fates in life than a golden <laughs> ticket <laughs> yeah so you know it's frustrating when you have a really good beer and because maybe the name isn't what you wanted people want it to be that mm-hmm. they don't like it or they don't buy it they love it and but the name is a a, a killer for them have you ever had a a beer that didn't exactly go the way that you were expecting it to go i mean yeah the golden ticket all right I didn't like it at all. I almost dumped it. It's a, it's it's done with all glacier hop, mm-hmm. and that glacier hop kind of has almost a flavor. It's it's not an off flavor, but it's just a different flavor when it's green. It's it's almost a grassy note, earthy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe a, a you know a little ruddy, and I didn't care for it. Everybody else liked it because it was a, one of the first, probably second or third beer we made. I was on the fence. I was like, because, you know, you want your beer to be the best it can be. And those early batches were, I was like, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. <laughs> but you have that. I mean, again, you're you're toying with, uh, uh, with flavors. Toying you with... To, oh, you don't know. I mean, you build your system. You don't, it's, it's not like you go go online and go, I want a seven-barrel brew house. <laughs> you know, there's, no, there's no equation for that, right? They don't sell them that. <laughs> so... And actually, with Tom, he hooked us up with a man with with a with a fabricator. So um, all of our equipment was built with fab. Nice. So nobody yeah. had ever made beer on our stuff. Sure. They made beer on stuff that those guys had made like that, but mm-hmm. it's not like they're hanging around with their notepads out telling you what to fucking do. I always say to my son, or you know, my brother Matt started here a few months ago. That worked out really nice. So you know, I look at him and they'll say, "Well, what do you want me to do?" And I'm like, "Who the fuck tells me what to do?" <laughs> 
On the job training. Huh? Um, <laughs> sort of out. You know, if it's important, I'll tell you. So, you know, hopping rates, utilization rates, squaring up. We use Beersmith. What an awesome program. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that software. I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's the balls. Works really well. The numbers are right. You know, it's interesting. You put in your parameters, and then you can kind of back check it against reality. And it's, it's surprisingly accurate. I mean, sometimes, even now, I've been... We're on batch over 150. I think we're getting close to 6160. You still double check and looking for double blind to make sure everything's working the way it is. And sometimes, you know, so you know, I'll check my numbers against the Bruce Smith in, in the session. And sure, there's different little screens. It's, it's good to have some predictability and some verification too. Yeah, because you can make it off the front one. You can mm -hmm. make it off the off the recipe sheet. But right. What's your favorite hop to use? Oh, I'd have to say that Kwatu I thought was a okay. was was a baller hop. I really liked that was in our Blue Skies. Mm -hmm. That was a fantastic beer. A great, I thought it was a great beer. And I love the description they put on it. It's it's indistinctly fruity. Mm -hmm. So it's not blueberry, it's not strawberry, it's not raspberry, but it is fruity. Right. Which is kind right. of what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. So I was very happy with how that beer worked out. And you know, for my money, Pacific Jade, what a great hop still. That was our first real IPA. I think we first brewed that beer in February of 18. And it, so those that first go round to load up, the beer smith was not calculating our hop efficiencies properly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we adjusted that. So that IPA was our first, I think, real pop punchy IPA. And and I had one a couple of weeks ago. Dang like, man, this is a good fucking beer. I love that Pacific Shade. <laughs> and this beer, this automail, I mean, two breweries have built themselves on this hop. Big boys. So Bells and Founders. Two Hearted is a all centennial. And of course, Founders Centennial is all centennial. And our automail is all centennial. This is one of my favorites to make as a home brewer. This is Michigan grown hops. So, you know, using local and Michigan stuff is something we try to do whenever we can. Pure Mitten IPA is all from the Dealman's Pure Mitten Hop. Cashmere is a hop like two years ago. Nobody talked about right. it. Right. Yes, you can't. But it's grapefruit on grass. It is. It's a great hop. That's an example. Like the first time we made it, we called it Cashmere. And it was kind of a play on Led Zeppelin. Sure, I was just going to say. But no, people didn't grab the meat. It didn't really work. So, and I'm a big jazz nut. So. Yep. I, I called it Turned Out the, Turn Out the Stars after Gil Evans' retrospective seven album set that I have. Okay. And it's almost jazz standard. Sure. Like, Turn Out the Stars, well, people like that. Because it reminded me of some, Summer Night. Yeah, you know, yeah. Was a summer beer. Sold the crap out of it is Turn Out the Stars. And then, same beer, same hop, but that cashmere hop. And, you know, and, I, and if I can find a place sometimes to sneak it in, I'll sneak a little bit. Because it's just such a bright little punch. Mm -hmm. So you can do it without it being... Forward, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the nice thing about brewing is, is there's so many elements to play with. You know, you see everybody going crazy to go get new, 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 different, different, different. You know, it's just nothing wrong with the seven basic colors. Mm -hmm. You can make some pretty good art with seven colors. Absolutely. You don't have to have the 64-pack crayons. <laughs> no. You know? no. No. I mean, there's so many things you can do. Yeah. 
So, and that's the challenge of what I find is how do you have 12 different beers? They can't taste the same. They can't present the same. You know, it's nice. Somebody say, you know, I went around the world and everything tastes different. And you're doing that with the same yeast strain. So, so then you go to yourself, okay, well, so you got one yeast and you only got four ingredients. If you want it to taste like blueberry, you can't just go throw blueberry puree in it. Mm-hmm. So if you want the grapefruity beer, they'll turn out the stars. It's very, very citrus forward. Mm-hmm. It's all just with the hop. I could give you the indistinctly fruit. I'd give you the Fruity Pebbles beer with the Coatter hop. You know what I mean? I could give you a thick, chewy stout by turning the mash tamp off. I can take I could take all of the yeast flavor or at least most of it out of the beer if I ferment it. So we had Lionhearted. So that was my version of a lawnmower beer. You know, Golden Promise and Cold Fermenting. So you know, this English ale strain is very versatile. It'll, it'll operate just fine at 52 degrees. But at 52 degrees, it throws nothing for flavor. And then use a, a traditional German hop. That was a great beer. But that's just showing that by just changing things and operating your within the confines of your product allows you to do, understanding the performance characteristics. You can make the, all different things happen and not have to go outside the wheelhouse of four ingredients. You know, and the, the fascinating thing about it, think about if you're the monster. Mm-hmm. So you're taking the same barley that's coming in the door and it's going out as two row, probably three or four L, light, toasty, you throw that on your floor and you kiln it till it turns black and you can do it in a way that it comes out and it tastes like chocolate and there's no chocolate or you do it another way and it comes out and it tastes like coffee and Indeed. there's no coffee in it so you know sometimes people think we put coffee in the porter it's thomas fawcett malts i love their products i mean you know and it's what we do and right. it, it drives me you know to completion in terms of going all the way and that's the beauty of the craft beer industry right you you have a lot of latitude to work with and everybody does something a little bit different and that's okay yeah there's nothing wrong with it. Everyone should you do have what your niche. You've got your four ingredients. You stick with that. And it has a 400-year success story. You know what I mean? They've been making it, it forever. I'm not taking responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. I'm just taking care of it. They usually sit for 10 days to two weeks before we put them on. Okay. For most beer, that's, that's enough. But some of the IPAs will still be cloudy. Yeah. But they'll drop another weekend and they'll be bright. Getting a brown ale, greens are going to go orange or red. That's just how they're going to go. So then the question is, how do you get them to move one way or the other? But you know when you make it. I mean, the color the color comes out of the mash tun. It'll change a little bit in the cattle because of the malleur. So we have a direct fire cattle. So it, it will caramelize the malt and the wort during your brewing. So it'll give you a little resting. What I like about my beer is you can find that. For what we do, it's perfect. It would not be good necessarily if you're trying to make lagers. It's going to yes. toast it up. So, But with this beer, toasting up is not a negative. Oh, well, that's good, Chris. That is really good. Cheers, man. And uh, when I take a sip and I notice it tastes like caramel and Coca-Cola. I'm like, it does. It's so smooth. Thank you. Is there any kind of a beer out there that you've always wanted to try, but you can't get because of distribution or because no. of... I, I went to every brewery I could get to before we opened. We're, we're not financed. I mean, we're self-financed. Yes. Karen and I took our law office and dumped everything out of our law office into the place, making a place for us to land for a nice retirement mm-hmm. to do what we love. So I've always had homebrew around, or I would go to a local brewery. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not a store beer guy. Yeah. I, I live in Heritage Hill. I was a brewery vivant junkie. I could go get whatever it is at the party store there, or I could just go to brewery vivant. Or I had homebrew at home. So why would I? You know, maybe I have blinders. Maybe you know, I, I guess I would say I probably have blinders. And here in Grand Rapids, you guys are really spoiled. I'll, I'll just say it like that because. 
and I've been spoiled you too. You go to City Build, you go to, Dude, you go to Minton, well, there you are 45, to, uh, 50, 60 different breweries in the greater Grand Rapids area. You can find whatever you want. Yeah, and there all, is good beer all. in Grand Rapids. There is some very good beer. I mean, the best is here, okay? <laughs> I, I have so much respect because I ran a full-time law practice and built this business at the same time. I don't go to anything, hard, I don't yeah. do anything, I work. I work here, I work at my office, that's all I did for three and a half, now almost four years. So working one job is going to so, feel almost like retirement, isn't it? Oh, it will be. <laughs> and now that i got these guys trained to take over, but they're not taking away my bragging rights on, I've made every beer that's yeah, been served in here. Indeed. Because I'm really proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of this place. I'm proud of my team. So I, I love the passion that you have, Chris. I really do. It, yeah. And if you are ever in the Grand Rapids area, you really need to stop by Brass Ring Brewing because they are doing a great job. One last question, which is always the fun one: If you were a beer, what kind of what kind of beer would you be? Oh, I'm, so, I'm the no half measures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, go, let's go all the way. Let's go all the way. People say I'm fairly extreme. That's okay. That's where the fun is. <laughs> it, and you know what? If it works for but you, that's it great. Does. It does. You know, it's 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 just been. I've never been ill-served by over-investing in things that that I'm called to do. I did write a poem about making beer. Uh, the name of the poem is called "Brewer's Admonition." If you're going to make beer, make it from your heart. Keep your brewery clean, as though it were a temple, because it is. It can be so much greater than the sum of its parts. That is water, barley, hops, yeast, and labor. And if you're doing it right with spirit, it may even rise to bear witness to the sanctity of life, love, and service. So mind your mash tap. Measure your progress. Be meticulous. For what you brew will be served to others, your guests, in this place you are charged to keep, this place you have built to share. Keep this place and all those who are in it in your heart. If you can do this, there will be gladness, acceptance, reconciliation, and yes, there will be beer. And we will delight because we will be drinking with the gods, realizing that all of this has always been waiting for us here, waiting for us graciously. Cheers. And isn't that just a call to service? It is. It's just a call to service. It, it's really given me uh, a new insight into what you're doing here because, uh, you know, I've always looked at a brewery and think, well, I mean, it's a business. You know, you're out to make something creative and provide it to the public, but, I mean, you're out to better the world. That's what you're out to do. Or better your neighborhood. I'm just whatever you can. I'm just, I just the people that are around you, that's I just, all. All you can do is be bright lights, right? What's Absolutely, wrong, what, man. What's wrong with the world? Not enough. Indeed. I don't care. Indeed. We have plenty of stuff. Mm-hmm. We have plenty of aid, plenty of problems, but not enough love, yeah. not enough caring, not enough kindness. Great way to uh, to end our time together. So, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. Cheers, Appreciate man. it, man. Thank you. Cheers. You got it. Last call. Well, it's nearly time to wrap things up. But first, one more for the road. This episode, I'm going to drink and describe BrewDog's Lost, the Planet First Lager. Their description says this, Our new recipe Lost is here. This planet-first German-style Pilsner is a 4.5% lager brewed using wind power, a third less water, and would-be waste bread in the malt bill. The addition of select, spalter, and saphir hops 
combine vibrant citrus and herbal notes for an iconic lager taste that's both crisp and refreshing. The can even reiterates this as well. It says that BrewDog is the world's only carbon negative brewery. For every beer we make, we remove twice the CO2 that we emit. It also says they plant trees. The Lost Forest in the Scottish Highlands is our big reforestation plan to help create a carbon clean planet. So I'm all about trying to use beer and the craft for promoting good causes. And I think that, uh, that this is a good cause. So as I pour this beer out, I can see that it's a, a very clean and light lager. You know, lager typically is what we call a bottom fermented beer. Uh, the yeast that we use uh, gather at the bottom of the fermentation tank. And of course, they can also tolerate uh, much lower temperatures than yeast used for other beers. So this clocks in at 4.7%, so, um, so it's a nice light beer. The, uh, the nose on this has a uh, nice bready kind of uh, aroma to it. First sip definitely has a, a crisp flavor, not overly hoppy. It's, uh, it's definitely got a, a malt-driven uh, kind of uh, undertone to it. Very smooth, but it does. Again, it has that little bit of crispness that personally I like from, from lagers. Um, some of my favorite lagers are ones that uh, are maybe hopped up a little bit or even maybe have uh, hops that are in them that are meant to, to give a little bit more um, aroma on the nose or even just a little bit more bitter bite to them. So overall, I really like this one. This came from my, uh, my BrewDog Advent Calendar. If you haven't gotten it this year, I would recommend getting on the list next year. But please, make sure you leave me one so that I can buy it again. If you have a beer you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment below. If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. Well, that's all for this episode of the 5 Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, thanks for choosing to listen to mine. Join me next time when I'll talk big beer buyouts, share another hop hack, and chat with Aaron Stuff from Harry Stuff Brewing. Remember to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram, 5beerplan2022, and leave a comment and let me know what your favorite style of beer glass is. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail, and stay thirsty, my friends.